Welcome to Keeping It Israel, brought to you by First Century Foundations. This weekly podcast explores how your Christian faith connects to Israel and why standing with Israel matters. Now here's your host, Executive Director of First Century Foundations, Jeff Feuders. Well, welcome to the podcast today. My name is Jeff and I'll be your host. And today on the podcast, our guest is Yaakov Billig. Uh, Yaakov has worked as an archaeologist at the Israel Antiquities Authority for 34 years, mostly on excavations in Jerusalem, including the excavation at Robinson's Arch at the southwest corner of the temple. Uh, he holds a master's degree from Bar Ilan University and is currently finishing his PhD on the Herodian Temple. Mount. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Yaakov. Hi. Nice to meet you all. <laughs> well, it's great to have you with us. And uh, as we sort of get started, we do have a topic we want to talk about today. But first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you first become interested in archaeology? Uh, what's the journey that brought you to 34 years of, of uh, work with the Antiquities Authority? Um, I was born in the United States of America. Yeah, no one's perfect, you know. Um, <laughs> and uh, my parents, out of religious, national, Zionist ideal, wanted to make Aliyah to immigrate to Israel. Um, they had enough of uh, foreign countries, and they believe this is the from the past, from the present, this will be the future. Um, so I came as a boy, but I, I really appreciate and admire them for the change, bringing me here, making our the future of our family here. And then from here, also looking back to the past, it always fascinated me, um, all the research, all the discoveries made, uh, relating to old times. And I wanted to be part of it. Uh, a lot of people are attracted to archaeology because they think it's like in Indiana Jones films where you have uh, these treasures and, and really uh, exciting Hollywood adventures. It's not really like that. It's a lot of hard work. There are a lot of boring uh, days and even boring excavations. And sometimes in the course of a career, you can find something which is really super that gets uh, worldwide attention. Uh, I'll speak of a few of these things during the interview. Um, and it's really super exciting. Uh, people often ask me, well, what do I do for, for work? And I say, well, my work is in ruins. Uh, <laughs> um, some pe most people get the, get the joke, but not everyone. A woman once asked me, why, what happened? And I had to explain to her. Um, Finding, discovering the remains of the different periods in the history of the land, in the history of the Jewish people who were here during certain periods, or even other nations and other uh, religions, people who came and went, came and went, is fascinating for me. And um, it's discovering what hasn't been known before in many cases. That's the That's excitement of the discovery. Yes. And, and that is exciting. I, I think that, uh, you know, for me, for somebody like me who, uh, um, you know, I'm a Christian and the, the roots of, of Christianity and, and before, you know, are, are there 
in biblical time in the land of Israel. And I just think about, you know, you excavating, for example, at the at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. What an amazing, uh, amazing opportunity. How did it feel to be able to excavate such a significant site? That uh, even though uh, my my uh, work at the Western Wall under Robinson's Arch beneath the Temple Mount was relatively the beginning of my career. It wasn't just my dig. I was co-director with uh, Ronnie Reich, who was already an experienced archaeologist, but it was a real journey. I worked there for three years, and it was the peak. It was the top. It is everything. Um, say from Iron Age to garbage, just about every period, and it's under the holiest spot in the world for Judaism. Today, yes. the Western Wall is related to as the holiest spot where a lot of prayers are directed. Um, that is only a solution because of the Muslim shrines on top of the Temple Mount. Um, today, it is not possible to do. Jewish worship on the Temple Mount, what's called in Arabic Haram Sharif. Um, so, as a substitute, in the meantime, um, there's prayer, there's services, there's celebrations, and also uh, all sorts of national ceremonies conducted along the Western Wall of the Temple Mount. Um, and the funny thing is that in the days when the Temple existed, that was just a thoroughfare, it was like a market. And that we revealed a major street, a major thoroughfare running alongside the Western Wall with shops on both sides. So we call that Wall Street because it's not only alongside the Western Wall, it's also a commercial center with shops and stores and money changers and everything like that. That's what they did alongside the Temple Mount that was forbidden on the platform alongside the Temple outside the Temple Mount, that's legitimate. It's part of the city's uh, marketing. Um, a few of the shops were small stalls. I guess the larger ones could have been even Walmarts. Uh, we had a lot of humor <laughs> relating to the activity alongside the Temple Mount, and we had also a lot of periods covering them. In other words, after the Temple was destroyed, we found remnants of the destruction uh, alongside the wall in later periods, Roman and Byzantine and early Islamic and then Crusader and then late Islamic and the Mamluks and the Papaluks, I'm joking, and the Turks, etc., etc. Um, one interesting story, in the course of the excavation and revealing the pavement of the street alongside the wall, we collected a lot of material. Most of it is just rubble fragments of destruction. We also had uh, 350 coins, almost all of them with the inscription to the liberation of Jerusalem, which were from the revolt against the Romans. And one day I was requested to guide the paratroopers from the Sixth Day War who fought on the Temple Mount, liberating the Temple Mount and the Old City. This was on the 30th anniversary of the Sixth Day War. And the excavation was just over, and with all the excitement, I told them the story of our excavations, and I said to them, here on this pavement, we found artifacts that we could date accurately by coins from the last moments of the Jewish people as an independent nation here 
in this land, in the city, alongside the Temple Mount. And then on top of that, we found the remains of destruction, the rubble, Titus's, uh, he had an arch in Rome named after him because of his victory over the Jews in Jerusalem. And here we're in the rubble of an arch of Jerusalem, uh, and uh, we're finding the remains of what he destroyed. And I said to the soldiers, they were already in their 50s already, 30 years later, I told them, until you closed the cycle and brought Jerusalem, brought the Temple Mount, brought the Western Wall back to the Jewish people, again, as an independent nation here in this land. That was very exciting for me. It was exciting for them as well. And the brigade uh, doctor said, do me a favor, say that again. <laughs> that was exciting for all of us. And um, it, it, it belongs to us. It, I can excavate fascinating sites in South America and the Far East and uh, just about in every continent. But the privilege of coming here to Israel after a few dozen uh, generations, going down deep in the time tunnel of Jerusalem's history and revealing relics from our ancient heritage, it doesn't get any better than that. Mm, wow. Uh, what an honor. You know, the the images of those uh, paratroopers uh, going in in 1967 and, and reaching the Western mm -hmm. Wall are just they're playing through my mind as you're talking. And uh, just yeah. such a, an amazing thing to be able to to take them back and, and kind of close that loop. I think that's just incredible. Uh, I was going to ask mm -hmm. you, you know, what are some of the exciting things that you found there? But you've already talked a lot about those things and uh, and even got a few good, uh, you know, wall jokes in there so so that that was good wall street and uh what was the other one walmart there's um, a syndrome called the jerusalem syndrome yes. uh some people who have visions and aren't really stable so we call them walnuts <laughs> <laughs> yes well they they and, tend to be, we can think of a few others. Yeah, they tend to be yeah. a little off off the wall at times, I'm sure. But um, yeah. uh, really, we got a hold of you today because we want to talk about this recent discovery in Jerusalem uh, that you unearthed um, and that everybody is talking about. Tell us about this 2,700-year-old toilet that uh, that has been discovered and, and why it's significant. Where was it discovered and, and how? Uh, give us some of the rundown on that. Okay. Recently, I turned into the holy toilet man. Um, <laughs> the, the, the site excavated is about two kilometers south of the old city, south of the Temple Mount, but on the hilltop overlooking. It's very strategic. It's a prominent hilltop. Today, it's known in Hebrew as Armon Hanitziv, meaning the palace uh, of the commissioner. In English, it's more modest. It's the governor's house because during the British mandate, which started about 100 years ago, um, it was the local governor of Palestine, and they decided to build his mansion above this beautiful, over, uh, breathtaking view and mountaintop, which is also strategically located. I already excavated there close to 30 years ago. 
um, close to the beginning of my career. Um, as the years go on, uh, the finds I discover are getting closer and closer to my age. Uh, <laughs> now, 30, 30 years ago, I was working on the low-level aqueduct to Jerusalem, which instead of going around that hilltop, it goes through it in a tunnel. It's known as the Armon Hanatsiv Tunnel. It makes the distance, instead of circling for four kilometers, it makes the distance shorter into 400 meters. I won't go into all the detail, but it's a fascinating uh, tour in itself. Um, I noticed the fascinating uh, natural phenomenon there. And like over the last 30 years, every time I go in the tunnel, it gets narrower. I can't find the explanation to that. <laughs> I allow myself to joke on my own expense as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. back, so I'm familiar with the area, and therefore uh, I don't usually decide where I want to work. I work for the Israel Antiquities Authority, and uh, they give uh, archaeologists different projects, usually based on their specialties. So in this case, for the construction of a tour center known as the Schatz House, in Hebrew, Beit Schatz, um, this is along the famous promenade of the governor's house, the Haas promenade, which has an extension with the uh, Sherver promenade, the Goldman promenade, where people come from around the country and around the world to view the beautiful view of the old city and the city of David, especially towards afternoon and evening, because the view is so gorgeous. Um, so the tourist center that's being constructed there needs first our permit to make sure there are no antiquities there and nothing's going to be damaged. Uh, in the probes I saw, there's pottery and there are rock cuttings. Uh, there is potential there, but no one but a dream will be found. At a certain point, I discovered a beautiful capital made of stone. Um, it is uh, a type called the Proto-Aeolic type. It's a design, it's a prototype, which is earlier by several centuries than the classic Greek orders. Everyone who's been in Europe with uh, Greek and Roman uh, famous architecture of temples and of other fabulous monumental structures knows of the order with the Doric order, the Ionic order, and the Corinthian order. So they weren't the first to develop certain orders of uh, architecture. The prototype, the proto-Aeolic one, was here in the land of Israel already in maybe even the ninth century BCE. Um, the ones we found in Jerusalem date a bit later. They're from the seventh century BCE. They're beautiful. Now, until now, those that were discovered were massive stones. They were about a meter long. Um, they believed to have been like the top stones above doorposts or on top of pilasters, which were very large in some monumental structure like a palace. They've been found in Hatzor, in Megiddo, in Samaria, Mount Rizim, in Jerusalem, in the city of David, Akramat Rachel, uh, all across the country, the kingdom of Judea, the kingdom of Israel, in the northern part of what is called the western land of Israel, and also east of the Jordan. Um, now we found a small stone, also shaped like a capital, but miniature. I could hold it on the palm of my hand. 
as oh. the excavation developed, we were astounded. I, I joked when uh, I was planning to make a presentation in, in Hebrew, it doesn't sound so great. So I took a picture of a keyboard of the caps lock, which is short for the capitals lock. And we kept on finding more and more capitals as if like I have a, a, key, uh, a button which is locked on uh, the capitals. We found over a dozen of the small ones hmm. and three complete, beautiful, medium-sized ones, which are half a meter long. Um, the beautiful half a meter long, medium-sized ones were probably capping pillars, uh, not big pillars like you have in the big temples uh, of the later Greek and Greek orders, but in this case, they were probably on the porch or around a courtyard of a beautiful villa. Again, we're back in the Judean kingdom in the Iron Age, 700 BCE. Hmm. Uh, those are the three intact ones, the medium-sized ones, and the small ones we could reconstructed with a few other fragments because we had these tiny pillars, which we call balusters of a balustrade. And we also have window frames. So we can reconstruct a whole window frame with a recession from the outside going inwards in a few steps. And then the sill had uh, capitals and balusters, like little pillars supporting them. Beautiful design. The <laughs> most beautiful of their type ever found in the country until now. Beautiful, much more beautiful in their work, in their artwork, in their composition. And also, we were lucky enough to have them also preserved in a almost mint condition. Uh, reconstructing Amazing. those windows um, with the view that was obviously viewed through the windows towards ancient biblical Jerusalem, the city, the Ophel, the royal compound, and the temple, I call that the most ancient Windows operating system. Um, <laughs> I know Billig sounds a bit like Bill Gates, but we're not related. Uh, but uh, we each have our own type of Windows. Uh, he he makes a better income from them. Um, <laughs> it was obvious that we're dealing here with a royal estate. This is something that only the top Maybe the king himself had his, maybe his summer or winter mansion out on that hilltop. Maybe it was one of the princes. Maybe it was the city's mayor or one of the ministers. But it was definitely someone on the real high society. Um, so that was already evidence that we're dealing with a royal, with a mansion, a royal estate. And then one day we found a a stone, a beautifully carved stone block with a hole going through it from top to bottom in a pit. So that is obviously a holy stone. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, it is not the first one of its kind found, but it is very, very rare. About six have been found up to date in the city of David in ancient biblical Jerusalem. Two others nearby at Ramat Rahel, not at the site itself, but a fortress right nearby it. And there's another one in the major city of Lachish in the southern part of Judea. And um, it is obvious also by its position in our dig that it is sitting on top of a 
cesspit. In other words, there's a carved pit measuring about two meters by one and a half meters, and it's full of um, how should I describe it? There's a it's it has its fill inside. It doesn't stink anymore, but it was obviously a toilet. Okay, so that is my holy toilet. When we work in archaeology, we have every small element uh, is determined as a locus. Uh, we give it a number. This is locus number one, locus 1017, et cetera, et cetera, to define the coordinates where it was found from, whether it's from a floor, a water cistern, some press or whatever. And uh, this for me was locus zero, zero. Um, wow. We had a lot of humor relating to this, uh, to this toilet. Um, most of it is a bit gross and not for, for this media. Um, <laughs> Thank you. You can imagine, you can imagine. I can't imagine. Uh, now, now, uh, let me just kind of interject people here. People also ask me. People also ask me if it's um, found in the term "in situ." Now, did you find it in place? For example, in many of the city of David's toilet seats, they weren't found in their original location. The stone was looted and taken somewhere else. So, for us, it's not only in situ in its sitting position, but. Um, I could also add another letter H in the middle, and then you understand uh, exactly how. It <laughs> oh, Yakov! Uh, listen, this is this is fascinating. Now, in in ancient Jerusalem, twenty seven years, twenty seven hundred years ago, uh, yes. were were these toilets common? Uh, who usually had them in their homes? They're very rare. You can count them on your fingers until now. I'm sure that in time, more will be found. But if right. they're not in situ, they're taken somewhere else. Okay, so it's another stone that functioned once as a toilet seat. But um, in this case, this is maybe the second instance in Jerusalem that was found in situ on top of the pit into which people disposed of what they had to dispose. What right. we found inside, uh, we found a few. Uh, dishes. Um, I can't tell you for sure whether they were maybe disposable and they are cracked or something and someone did what he had to do somewhere else and then threw them in. Or maybe they put some um, aromatic oil as an air freshener to make things more bearable inside so this thing wouldn't be so bad. That's, I think, another option that we might be able to uh, analyze with um, residue research. Um, we also found animal bones um, that didn't come out, you know, through the digestive system. But a toilet is also, you know, a place where you dump some of the garbage. Today, there would be the cigarettes and the chewing gum and a few other things that you could throw down there. Um, so we found so some garbage in there. Um, besides that, what we didn't uh, see, obviously. Um, in the beginning, but they were analyzed in a lab. We found microscopic finds, which prove that they come from the digestive system because there are parasites coming from the human digestive system. It wasn't just a garbage can. Um, and uh, also uh, pollen of the plants which were planted alongside. 
uh, it seems that uh, the human experiment uh, uh, glues to it pollen. And it doesn't just blow in the wind from anywhere. It's from the local pollen that was grown in immediate surroundings. And there we have ornamental trees. We have fruit trees. Uh, we have even water lilies. Um, this is something uh, researched by uh, Professor uh, Dr. Daphne Langot from the Tel Aviv University. I can't, uh, it's not my research, so I won't go into more detail. That, it, that those are her discoveries. So this is not the first time, but maybe the second time in a more advanced study where we have these finds, which are also from an ancient biblical site. Uh, very important indeed. Also giving getting knowledge of what was grown in the, in the surroundings. It was a royal estate with royal gardens with very unique plants in it. Um, well, people ask me, okay, no, since it's so rare, uh, what did other people do? No, you can assume that everyone had to go to the toilet every so often. Not only the kings, even the kings had to go to the toilet, but what did other people do? They, <laughs> they also had to go, but they didn't have their own private WC. Uh, uh, someone called it the Royal Flush. <laughs> um, I had... Um, some, something which is really personal. Uh, my, my father passed away a few years ago, and he's a Holocaust survivor. He grew up in Germany in a city called Karlsruhe. And Germany in the first half of the 20th century was very modern, developed, and modernized. Um, so they had red water, they had toilet system, sewage system, a lot of things were very uh, uh, progressive. Then they had uh, other issues which were uh, not very uh, positive, I'd put it gently. In any case, in the course of the war, my father and his parents were refugees and they had escaped from Germany through Switzerland, uh, Italian, an Italian village in Switzerland, and then in Italy itself. Eventually, around 1942, they reached a small village called Navelli, not far from the city of Aquila in the Abruzzo region. And I'd like to read to you briefly uh, things that he wrote. This is around nine villages in the Abruzzi. It was extremely primitive. No toilets, no running water. The house we lived in was relatively new, built by an Italian from Novelli who spent many years as a factory worker in the States and saved every penny which he sent to his family in Novelli. So when he built his house, he included a cistern which collected all the rainwater that fell on the roof during rains. Most other people had to go to the nearest public fountain and fill up a gigantic copper vessel called Conca, and the women carried on their heads to their homes. This was strictly a woman's job. Sanitary installations were non-existent. Our home was built against the hill and was freestanding. The hills in the area were full of natural caves. Whoever was able climbed to the nearest, most convenient cave near their house and there relieved themselves. Whoever could not used the potty and emptied it or onto the hill or out of the window, summer, winter, rain and snow and, snow and shine. That's what just about everyone did throughout history 
for a long, long time all around the world, except for the very, very rich people who had their own royal flush. Um, a thousand years, 1,000 years after this royal toilet, there is a debate among the rabbi, rabbis in the Talmud. How do you define a rich person? There's a famous quotation, who's a rich person? Someone who is content with what he has. Okay, that's very good. That's a lesson in modesty. But who is really rich? And there's a debate. Someone says, someone who has a nice, fine uh, wife. Uh, others probably, I don't remember all opinions, but you look at his bank account and his stock, uh, what he owns. And there was Rabbi Yossi who said, someone who has a toilet, Next to his table, he is a rich person. Mm. That is definitely rare. Only a rich man could afford to have such an installation in his home so he wouldn't have to be uh, uh, under pressure, put it that way, uh, how he would have to get go out and do what he has to do. Uh, wow. Now, what king of Judah might have been reigning at the time that this toilet was in use? The main factor of chronology is the pottery, um, the ceramic assemblage. And that gives us a general time frame of the 7th century BCE. This would be maybe, maybe Hezekiah, after he was barely saved from the Assyrian assault and siege of the city. But he didn't really survive in power much long after that. I'd say the best candidate would be his son, uh, Menashe, who was over 50 years a king. Um, he wasn't wow. one of the positive kings as far as, uh, say, the biblical uh, narrative is concerned, but still building uh, building projects probably could have been uh, a major issue in his time. Usually if someone has a very long um, uh, period that he's in rule, unlike today in modern democracies, um, then they could rule for decades and they could also envision all sorts of projects they would like to do. It could be if the, if he had enough time, he had enough mm. funds, he had uh, initiative, and there was no real threat of siege uh, of the city, then it could be his project. Um, his son didn't last very long, his son Amon, uh, but then uh, Yoshiau sort of closed about the last 30 years of the 7th century BC. He could also be a good candidate. After Yoshiau passed away, um, every few years the king changed to three of his sons and one of his grandsons who were in power. But I guess that was already pretty close to chaos because the kingdom was really in bad shape already. The, the prophets prophesied that game's over, and uh, it won't last long. So I would gamble on Menashe, but still we don't have the real resolution that we can really narrow, zoom in on the the king himself. We didn't find, unfortunately, we didn't find an inscription. There are no coins yet at that time period, Mm. but it's good enough. 7th century BCE, fantastic information, a wonderful site, um, beautiful finds, 
Uh, we also started publishing some of them in articles in the Congress we had in Jerusalem a week and a half ago, and uh, also in uh, two uh, publications. We still have a lot of work to do yet. Yeah. Well, so there's no way we can know for sure uh, whether or not uh, this would have been either Hezekiah or Manasseh's uh, toilet, but uh, very intriguing <laughs> to think about. Um, now, uh, last question, because I know uh, time is is of the essence here, but um, the toilet, you already thousand said the... Years, thousand years there. Thousand, yeah. Uh, <laughs> we, um, we, you already heard that the toilet's made of stone. Um you you mentioned about it being carved. Uh, like, have you tried it out? Is it comfortable? <laughs> it is very comfortable. Yes, I tried <laughs> it out with my with my clothes on. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's a perfect. Yeah. It's a perfect seating arrangement. Uh, okay. I joke. I joke during the Congress that it is so it's such a wonderful find. We should make a a whole. Um, you know, in Congresses you have these sessions. In Hebrew, it sounds more like seatings, uh, where you know you have uh, two hours for certain speakers. But okay, we can make a session. But who's going to volunteer to be the chairperson? That would be a bit <laughs> difficult. Uh, Yaakov, I love your humor, and it's been great to uh, to share with you today. Listen, uh, what's next for you? Are, are, is there another dig coming up? Can uh, can people get involved in in the work that you're doing as volunteers? Tell us a little bit more about that. Um, I have another excavation, which already had two seasons over the last uh, year, um, in the grounds of the Mount Zion Hotel. The Mount Zion Hotel is located just across the valley from the old city on the western, southwestern side. Uh, it is on the slopes of what is known as Ketef Hinom, where the famous archaeologist Gabi Barkai discovered the, the amulet with the inscription of the blessing of the priests hmm. uh, in Iron Age burial, burial caves. Um, it, this site that we started excavating for the expansion of the hotel grounds by the Israeli group, um, we found most of the area was covered with quarries from many different periods and also um, different quality, different types of stone from small blocks to medium-sized blocks to even mega blocks. We also found a segment of my favorite low-level aqueduct to Jerusalem, and there are a few other installations as well. There are a few remnants of Iron Age tombs as well. Um, uh, most have been damaged by the later rock quarries. One was intact, but uh, problems, um, double meaning. Uh, there are ultra-Orthodox uh, Jews who make it very difficult to excavate uh, ancient tombs, even if they're smack in the middle of the city. Um, I think most rabbis allow it uh, out of respect for the dead to be reburied somewhere else without any violation, but there are always uh, fanatics who oppose this, and therefore that uh, intact sealed tomb is uh, out of bounds for us. Um, so we had two seasons over the last year excavating there. We still have to complete the job in some segments which weren't completed yet. And that's what 
what I'll be focused on, I guess, in the near future. Uh, volunteers will be happy to have volunteers when the dig uh, uh, continues. It might be in a month or so. Let's hope um, there will be the opportunity for people to come and volunteer, especially yes. also from abroad, because of the COVID virus. Um, we were just on our own most of the time. Uh, we had help from volunteers, um, uh, unemployed tour guides who couldn't didn't have a job because touring uh, and tourists were, were out of the out of season for a long time. So they worked with us as volunteers. Hopefully, we'll be able to do a restart. Um, and then um, I have uh, directors and bosses who tell me it's about time I also clean up my table and uh, put out the reports of the excavations I excavated and get all the files in the archives, et cetera, et cetera. So there's still a lot of work to do. Well, you know, just like with the toilet, there's always paperwork. But uh, <laughs> you can you can borrow that one if you want. Uh, listen, thank you so much. Uh, how do people get in touch with you if they want to find out about volunteering? Is there a way that they can do that? Yes, they can do that. Um, the Israel Antiquities Authority. I work for them, and we have uh, we have the education department, and we have. In each part of the country, we also have in the districts, we also have uh, uh, staff who deal with uh, school children and tourists, volunteers who are willing to come. Um, I can also uh, leave my email uh, if, if, you, if you're interested. But it's preferable not to contact me directly, but to the Department of Antiquities, Israel Antiquities Authority, uh, main office in Jerusalem, and they'll direct you. Great. Okay. Well, Today, with we the will... internet and modern development, uh, yeah. it just flies through the air and reaches you automatically. Yeah, great. We will get that information from you and uh, make sure that we include it in this uh, in this podcast. Uh, Yaakov, thank you so much for your time today. It's been great to have you on the podcast. Really appreciated all that you shared with us, and um, hope that we can do it again soon. Mm -hmm. My pleasure.